Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that the words of my mouth and that meditation of all of the hearts of your people here today be pleasing in your sight. We pray this to our God, our rock, and our Savior in whom we trust. Amen. As I already mentioned this morning, today we're continuing that sermon series called Live Life Together. If you remember week one, just a real quick recap. Week one, ugh, can't talk today either. The voice ain't working, the audio, man. Uh, week one, we talked about living life together as we meet with one another around the word of God, right? If we're going to do any of the others of living life together, we have to get grounded in God's word to us. Last week, we talked about living life together as we love one another, right? Jesus, the Savior himself, said to us, all men will know that you are a follower of me if you love one another. And so today we want to build on that by talking about how we can live life together as we encourage one another. And, and kind of the section of God's word that we want to focus on the most this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read it. Starting at verse 19, going through verse 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of our God. Even though it happened like 22 years ago, I can still remember it like it was yesterday. There I was, I think it was sophomore year, Martin Luther College, and if you're not sure what that is, that's our national church body, that's where they train pastors and teachers. And I was sitting there in Professor Wenland's office, bags packed, ready to leave. I hadn't been doing too well in school. The languages were kicking my butt. And just a week or two earlier, I had a meeting with one of the top administrators for the pasture track side of things. And he said, Doug, maybe it's time you start thinking about what you're going to do with your life because the pastor thing ain't working out. To say I was crushed was kind of an understatement. I went home and I replayed that in my mind again and again and again. And finally I said, you know what, he's right. I'm not pastor material. I'm not going to do this. I'll figure out something else. So I'm just going to pack up and leave. But before I did, Professor Wenlin wanted me to come into his office. And so with bags packed on that day, before I left campus, I said, fine, I'll, I'll go see him, but it probably won't change anything. 
Man, am I glad I did. Because as I sat in Professor Wendland's office, he spoke some of the most encouraging words anyone has ever spoken to me in my life. He said this. He said, I know you're struggling. I know the languages are kicking your butt. I know you, maybe you think that, that you're not cut out for this, but, but I want to tell you two things. One, he said, you can take all the A students and all the C students and often go like this, and there's your best pastors. So there's hope for you, Doug. And two... He said, we're not training theologians here. If a theologian comes out of the system, that's great, but we're not training guys to sit in rooms and write theological dissertations and books. We're actually training pastors. And he says, if you remember your studies, Doug, a pastor means shepherd. We're training people to know and love Jesus and, and to know and love their sheep and point them to Jesus. That's it. And that you can do. I'm glad I went to see Professor Wendland that day. I'm thankful that God put him in my life to, to encourage me because, and I don't think this is an understatement, I would not be where I am today without God working through people like Professor Wendland. In fact, I still remember this day as well, the day I received my first call to serve a church in Utah, and one of the first people to meet me in the line and exchange a big bear hug was Professor Wendland. And you know what I whispered in his ear? I said, I'm here today because of you. Wendland taught me two important truths that day in his office in New Ulm 22 years ago. One is God doesn't want us to do life alone. Imagine if, if I thought I was alone and I didn't even go and talk to this professor who loved me, I would have left that day. The other important truth an encouraging word is huge. It changed so much in my life. I'm sure that you can think of moments in your life where somebody spoke an encouraging word to you as well. But here's what I got thinking this last week. I thought, well, this is sad because we live in a world where it seems like encouraging words are becoming less and less. Right? We, we live in a world where where criticism seems to rule the day. We live in a world where even ourselves, it's so easy to hop on, and in 140 characters or less, we can blow somebody else up, call them out, disagree with them, and get kind of rude about it. We can post things and share things about, about that person we don't like at work, or about that political party we didn't vote for, or, or, or those people, maybe even our families, or, or in our church family, who, who kind of ugh, did us wrong. We can sometimes vomit our own self-righteous anger over anyone who dares disagree with what we think and what we want, whether it's God's way or not. That's, we're not so concerned with that. And so I don't know about you, but, but as I look at our world and as I look at even my own life, oftentimes it feels like encouragement and an encouraging word has left the building. But here's the reality. If you are a living, breathing human being, you need encouragement. We all do. And here's the truth that I've heard a couple of times over the last couple of weeks when someone says, words matter, words mean something, words have power. That's an understatement. Words are very powerful. They have the power to build somebody up or to tear them down. 
They have the power to encourage a hurting heart or they have the power to crush somebody. Words are powerful. But I don't think you need me to tell you that. And and you don't need a psychologist because all the experts say things like, right, for every word of criticism, you got to speak like seven or eight words of encouragement just to try to cancel this out because that's how powerful a negative critical word can be. But again, you don't need psychologists. You don't need me to tell you that because God does. In fact, before we jump into Hebrews 10, I want to go through a few passages just so you have them. So if you're taking notes, write these down. If you got your Bible open, highlight them so you have a couple passages where God talks about the power of an encouraging word. The first one comes from our lesson this morning, the first one we read from 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, therefore, so the day is coming. Jesus lived, he died for you. The day is coming, he's coming back. Encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So, so he's talking to the Thessalonian Christians, and here's kind of a compliment. Encourage, build each other up, just, in fact, you are doing. So keep doing it, because Jesus is coming. Another one from the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, it says, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up, right? The power of words. Maybe you've been in a situation like me in Professor Wenland's office like that, or you're thinking about your day, or you're thinking about your kids, or you're thinking about your job, and you're stressing and anxious. How powerful a kind and encouraging word can be to uplift you. Point you back to what truly matters. The next one, maybe my favorite out of these four that I'm sharing with you today, Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Any critical talk, no matter who it's toward, he said, don't let it come out of your mouth because it's sin, it's not God-pleasing. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Again, the power of words. Paul says, if it's going to crush somebody, don't speak it. Unless it's going to build them up, point them back to Jesus and encourage them, don't let it come out of your mouth. Finally, the last one, we go back to Proverbs. Gracious words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Right? A kind word, an encouraging word, a loving word. It's like sweet honey, and it brings healing. Now, the section of God's word that we want to specifically talk a little bit more in depth this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 10. It's kind of an interesting section, kind of a unique section, because we don't know who wrote it. There's some speculation. Some some people have some guesses. Some people think maybe it was the Apostle Paul. Maybe it was Apollos. If you remember months ago in our sermon series, Apollos was a pastor where? Corinth. Maybe him, but, but we're not sure. Why was it written? We're not necessarily told. We're not, we're not given specifics of the situation or context it was written. But this we kind of do know. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew people. They were Jews who had converted to Christianity. And that's why, even in this little section here, five, six verses and throughout, lots of references to the Old Testament. Lots of references to Old Testament worship and the high priests. And and real quick, I want to explain this one because it's brought up here about Jesus being our high priest. In the Old Testament, you know what the high priest did? 
He was this go-between, between this section over here where God would be and where the people were, because God said, sinners can't just come up to me. If you're a sinner, you can't just approach me. I'm holy. I'm perfect. You know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to give you a mediator. I'm going to give you someone who go between. There's your high priest. And in some ways, we still play that out in our worship today, right? When I'm facing this way, bringing the, the prayers and requests of the people toward God, when I'm facing this way, I'm bringing God's message of love and forgiveness to you. And here in the book of Hebrews, especially in the section we just looked at, Jesus is our high priest. Because he went between us and God. He was punished for our sins. God accepted it, and now you and I have access to the Father. We don't need a high priest to go into the presence of our God. We have Jesus, who is the greatest high priest ever. And so, the writer to the Hebrews brings that reality up in two primary purposes. One, point people to Jesus. Two, encourage them not to give up meeting together. That's what he says in verse 25. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if you remember all the way back to week one, I told you Acts chapter two is going to come up like every single week. <laughs> and here's where it comes up today. Acts chapter two, what did the Christians do? They got together. They opened up God's word regularly. They, they ate together. They broke bread together. They celebrated birthdays together. They did life together. But it appears in the book of Hebrews that some of that had stopped. Some of them had stopped meeting together, stopped doing life together, stopped getting into God's word together. And again, we're not told exactly why. A couple of maybe reasons. One, many say the church was being persecuted at this time. So maybe they stopped out of fear. They didn't want to gather in groups. They didn't want the Romans to see this and arrest them or those they love. So they said, we, we got we to gotta stay kind of quarantined, at least when it comes to gathering as Christians. Maybe some of it. These Christians had grown kind of used to, the, to that routine, and, and they didn't make it a priority anymore. They didn't make sure they, they put it on their schedules. They didn't make sure they gave themselves notifications. They didn't make sure that, that they would move all the other stuff on their schedule. No, this is most important, and all the other stuff goes here. No, the God stuff, the getting together with fellow Christians went on the outside, and if I get to it, maybe that's what happened. Because isn't that often what happens with us? We let all the cares and all the struggles and all the scheduling in our lives, and, and oh, yeah. I didn't get to my devotion today, or I, I didn't get to do that today, or I didn't get to, to see if she was okay or how he's doing. Maybe. Maybe some of them had just simply lost their first love. I think of the parable Jesus taught, sower in the seed, right? The seed was there, it sprouted up, their faith was strong, and, and then all the cares and stuff of the world overtook it, and they didn't see the importance or need anymore. That's why the book right to the Hebrews encourages them, don't stop meeting together. And this is what he says in the next verse. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, it's really hard to do what he's asking us to do here 
if we're not actually getting together. And, and I don't know what you think of I, I spent a little time on that phrase, spur one another on. And, and this is what I get in my mind. I don't know what you get in yours, but I picture a race. And I picture standing along the sidelines, and here come the racers. Maybe it's a track meet for your kid or, or your spouse or something. And once they come, you're like, yes, you can do it, honey. Yeah, you can do it, buddy. You got this. Right? Encouraging them, spurring them on. You, you can finish. It's kind of what I picture here. As the writer says, spur one another on. But again, it's really hard to do this if you're not involved in each other's lives. It's really hard to spur one another on in the truth of Jesus if you don't gather regularly. It's really hard to point people to Jesus and his love and his forgiveness. It's really hard to talk about the confidence and assurance and hope that we have in Christ if we're actually not around each other. If we're actually not involved in each other's lives. And that's why coming to church, like this morning, it, it, it's good. I don't want you to stop, but it's really not enough. Can I be honest with for, you for a minute? I don't know everything about you guys. I don't know all of your struggles and all of your triumphs. I don't know all of your backgrounds. I don't know all of your wants and your dreams. I don't know always when you're struggling or you got a sick family member or maybe there was even a death in the family. I just don't. Some of you, I, 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 probably most of you, I don't know when your birthdays are. I don't know when your anniversaries are. I don't know everything about you and I can't because I'm not God. And you know what? You can't know that about each other either. Not always. Because you're not God either. In fact, it's impossible for all of us to know all those things about everybody. I don't know if you guys know this, but on our, on our directory role, we have 154 people. 154 people that, that I'm called the shepherd, that your, your leaders, like your elders, are called to watch over. That is an impossible task for one or even a group of folks to do. Remember last week we said about five to seven really solid, deep relationships that you can be invested in, and beyond that it's tough? <laughs> and so, as we continue to grow, which we hope God will bless us with, this is going to get even harder. Maybe 10, 15 years ago when it was 30, 35 on a Sunday, four or five families, way easier to know each other. But as we keep growing, it's going to be harder and harder and harder. And that's why as a church, we, we want to very soon start these life groups. Because you know what you need? You need somebody to know way more than just your name, Way more than just a birthday, or, or what your rank is, or, or where you came from, or what you do for a living. You need somebody to encourage you. You need somebody to point you back to Jesus when nobody else will. 
You need somebody to, 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 as the Bible talks about, to love on you, to correct you, to spur you on. You need somebody on those tough days to say, God forgives you. Yes, even for that sin, you are forgiven. You need somebody to give you more than just thoughts and prayers in a comment box and social media. You need people to actually show up and pray with you and for you when maybe you don't even know what to pray for. You need people in your life to encourage you. And ultimately encourage you by showing you Jesus and his love. And so I want to encourage you, but I also want to challenge you today. In the next month or so, we're going to start having sign-ups for life groups. We want to make sure that it's a good thing and it's ready to go, and we just don't want to throw it out there and have it fail. So when we're ready, we're going to put them out there, and I want you to seriously think about signing up. And I'm going to challenge you to do that. I realize 100% is not going to sign up, but that's my prayer and that's my goal. Because here's the thing. Some of you are thinking, well, you know what? This sounds great, and we should have been doing this 10 years ago, probably. But for some of you, you're wondering, well, why are we even doing this? Some of you might, might even resist it at first because, well, it's not something we've traditionally done. And we haven't traditionally done it in the Lutheran church that much either. It's kind of a new concept. Some of you? Some of you haven't gotten real a day in your life. You haven't gotten real with yourself. You haven't gotten real with your spouse or your kids or your family or your friends and the concept of getting together in a group and having to actually be real about the struggles and the joys and everything in between is kind of scary. So you're not sure if you want to do this. But trust me, it will bless you. Maybe some of you, you don't want to do it because you've already been burned, right? Maybe you've tried these things in your own ways and you've tried to connect with somebody or a group of somebody's only to have them turn you down. Maybe you've tried to get into groups at churches before and, well, it was kind of hard to get into and they kept their way and so you're like, I don't want to even try again. But I'm asking you to try again. Or maybe some of you say, I don't have the time for this. Meeting on a Monday night or a Thursday evening or on a Saturday other than Sunday morning, I've got too many other things going on. I would say you don't have the time not to do it. To be encouraged with God's word and to be encouraged with one another. Some of you, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm good. I don't really need this. I would argue you probably do. So I want to challenge you, find that group. And you know what? If you don't sign up for a group here, then find a group of people, Christians now, who will love you on the good days and bad. Find a group of people, a group of Christians who will help you in your walk of faith. Who will sometimes love you enough to maybe say, stop it, that's not good. Who will love you enough to be there and show up in a way that we can't do it for everybody. But find your group. So that you can love and encourage each other and you can point each other to Jesus. Because God promises to bless us when we do. But a month ago, I wasn't in a good place. We were getting close to Christmas, and, and I was stressing, you know, two services, navigating COVID, uh, our, our piano player couldn't do it, then our backup couldn't do it, and then the backup to the backup, and someone breaks their leg, and I'm just, I'm just stressing out. 
And then on top of that, I'm feeling kind of burnt out and stressed out toward the end of a year that I think all of us would say maybe one of the toughest years. I know as a pastor, hardest year ever to be a pastor. Navigating it, do you close, do you not close? This group says mass, this group says don't, this group says we should be doing this, pastor, this group says we should be doing that. And I was like, man, it just seems like more critics than encouragers. Christmas, I don't know what's going to happen. And I was just, I wasn't in Wendland's office with my bag packed, but I was down. And then I got this. December 16th, 2.01 p.m., someone sent me that text. Wow. What a blessing. This individual reminded me really of two things. One, God loves you. Don't worry about the critics. Don't worry about the naysayers. Don't worry about your own worst critic in your own mind. Your worth is not in them. Your worth is not in what you think. Your worth is what Jesus says. He loves you. It's okay. And then number two, somebody loved me. Loved me enough to reach out, encourage me. I I don't know how they knew. I I know how they knew because God knew. God knew what I needed, and he gave it to me through a fellow Christian. And it put my mind back in the right track. It got me focused again on the message of Christmas and what that means for us that a Savior was born for us so that I could do my role as your shepherd and I could point you back to Jesus too. That was a game changer. Friends, what would happen? What would happen in our world? What would happen in our families? What would happen in our church family if we encouraged more and criticized less? If the first thing out of our mouth isn't we should change this or you need to behave better and do that, but it was a word of encouragement and build each other up and point each other back to Jesus, what would happen? What would happen if we went to each other and the first things on our lips are not politics or what's happening with with our family and that dysfunction or what we want changed here at church, but our first things out is is Jesus and pointing that, that loved one back to Christ? reminding each other that we're forgiven, that we're saved, that God's got our back, and God is for us, what would happen? You know what would happen. And it would be awesome. We'd be blessed, we'd be encouraged, we'd be strengthened, and we'd be able to share that love of Jesus with many more people. And so today, this in the coming week, with God's help, let's encourage one another. We know the day's approaching. We know Jesus is coming back. And we don't have to be afraid about it. We know he's coming back to take us home. So let's encourage each other. All the more. Until the day Jesus calls us home. Amen.